So, first off, to start the podcast, I'd like to take a moment of silence to uh, celebrate the career of Clint Dempsey, one of the best men's soccer players in U.S. history. He he died doing what he loved. He's, he's, he's not dead. He just retired. Are you, are you sure? Oh, okay. I'm fairly certain he's not dead. Uh, I, I heard he was dead. <laughs> he died. He died on the toilet, taking a shit. It's a king's. It's a king's death. Doing, doing what he loved. Much. I don't believe he's dead, but Dempsey has retired as he was the tied for the highest leading scorer in U.S. men's national team history. He's still the only American to ever play in a European Cup final when he played for Fulham in the Europa League final. Is this like an Urban Meyer retirement where he's going to come back in like a year with a different club? I don't think so. I think it's Dempsey's the guy. Like he's a really quiet guy. And so we always talked about, like, I'm going to retire and just go fish for the rest of my life. So we can expect to see a lot of him fishing in the near future. Yeah, he may be on, like, the best pro shop national fishing tour. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think he'll be a commentator or something, but... No, Dempsey... No, he's a guy that I think legit is just going to kind of fade off into the... Walk right off into the sunset. You know, he's from he's from Nagadocious, Texas. I hope I pronounced that right, Artem. You know, just... Uh... Well, it depends which way you want to pronounce it. Apparently, there's a Nakitochis or something, yeah. Louisiana, that's <laughs> supposed to be the rival of Nacogdoches, Texas. <laughs> but... They're both the heroin capitals of the United States. He actually, um, I worked with a guy one time who had been a freshman at Furman and lived on the same hall as Dempsey his yeah. freshman year at Furman. Interesting. But yeah, great, great player. Sad to see him. Sad to see him go. Yeah. Well, he was by far your favorite player. Oh, easily my favorite U.S. player. So, I mean, that definitely plays a factor. And uh, now that that is done with our moment of silence, I do want to bring up uh, that apparently since we've lost the data on our controversy episode, I want to bring up the fact that apparently Zach Smith is not a abuser. Or wait, let me get the exact quote. He has made mistakes in his life, but being a domestic abuser is not one of them. So, does that mean that he accepts that it was the correct move for him to abuse his wife? Is that what I'm getting out of this statement? Well, I think I think the fact that he has, on the record, admitted to choking her at least twice kind of contradicts what he said in that tweet. But I guess, you know, he's following the, the Dylan Thomas poem, you know, do not go gentle into that good night. Yeah, I... Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Because he is trying to blast everybody he can it seems like he's gonna like if i'm going down i'm taking everybody i can with me now artem you're the one that pointed these tweets out to me so i'm gonna defer to your expertise did he say anything about the dildos that he ordered to the stadium did he say anything about sleeping with the other like uh coach uh, like grad student did he say anything about masturbating in the white house bathroom no he does not he pretty much talks about himself and just like urban meyer he says that legitimately the people that were hurt in this were the fans there is a lot of gold <laughs> in the tweets though when you look at what people are applying i mean it's some of the best gifts i've seen in a long time um for example one of them is do you have a tribal tattoo i'm betting you do <laughs> uh, 
Here's one. Uh, when did you start drinking? This morning? Somebody <laughs> said, in order to start drinking, one must have finished drinking. It sounds like the dude's in a six-day bender. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you bang the secretary? <laughs> yes, yes. yes, he did. Allegedly. It's <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, and then, you know, we saw your your favorite person on the planet, Tom Herman, is apparently gotten roped into this for being at a strip club with Zach Smith and some high school coaches, allegedly. So that that's a weird thing, right? Like they came out with a report saying, oh, there was Zach Smith for sure, but then we're going to be kind of shady and we're not going to say who the other person was, but it's probably Tom Herman. And then, like, <laughs> days later, they're like... Guys, it's Tom Herman. Like, <laughs> no, it was Tom Herman. We're sorry. Like, what was? Why wouldn't? Why didn't that just come out to begin with? Are you? Did you half-ass the investigation just to you know give him a slap at, slap on the wrist for three games? This this kind of shit should have come out in the first round of investigating and been like, hey guys, Tom Herman fucked this up. Zach Smith fucked this up. They both jerked off in the White House, probably. <laughs> Oh. like let's not let's go ahead and start naming names if you're gonna start putting people's stuff on there we're gonna find out who it is eventually anyway yeah i mean i don't what, know what, what i want to see is i want to see some location data you know they got those <laughs> cell phones if you go look at your cell phone on like google maps it always like gives you the whole view of the map um i remember one of the friends i had took a took a cruise and it would like drop off in international waters well unless they took it into international waters to dump the hookers uh, we're going to see some of that location data end up at strip clubs. Which which is even better because, you know, they probably had school-issued cell phones. Although, you know, as we learned, Urban Meyer apparently, you know, deleted all of his texts off his school cell phone, which I thought I read somewhere could actually be a, a Freedom of Information Act yeah, violation. It is, it is a violation. Because it's yeah. not – because it is technically a state employee, he has to – keep an archive of all of his communications look but <laughs> look I'm, you gotta understand urban meyer is an old man like he couldn't even remember the fact that his coach had like abused his wife much less that why he deleted all those messages that might have pertained to his coach I, beating I, his wife I, I cannot wait for ohio state screwing something up on a late game situation and just the amount of people that are come out and be like, oh, man, I guess Urban Meyer must have forgot what time was left in the game. <laughs> it was memory he issues. He them after all. Now we're on board. <laughs> no, like, it makes a, a special kind of stupid to not know that even though you delete them off your phone, they're still in the database somewhere. Well, and so as, if, as the radio they really show... Wanted to, they can go find what he deleted. Yeah, like the radio show guys here, they were like, when you send or receive a text message, it's to someone or from someone. So that other person's going to have those records. Well, and it's <laughs> they've got backups of all that stuff nowadays. Yeah, Te- technology is crazy. AT&T, whoever he has, and they can be like, hey, AT&T, give us some records. This is a domestic yeah. abuse case. AT&T will be like, yeah. all right. Tech, te- <laughs> technology is amazing. You know, you can totally fuck robots now. So. I thought I, I thought I saw somewhere that Houston Nuts attorney is getting involved I don't not be, not because of houston nut but because he is apparently like an expert at freedom of information request because oh. he's one of the guys that played the role in bringing down hugh freeze i was about to say this is suddenly making way more sense <laughs> oh god 
But no, now with all the talk of when Artem brought up the dumping the hookers at sea, who was the coach that allegedly killed five hookers outside? Oh, it wasn't a coach. It was so. It was. It's an internet meme. Yes. And it was about Craig James when he was at SMU. He never denied. And and that's what it was. Is it was the idea of. The, you know, he's never on the record denied killing five hookers. Now, there's no proof that he ever <laughs> ever did. Yeah, like there's no like he just never in the he lake. just never said he's he just didn't. never on the record denied it. Which is you know one of those really fun things to screw around with people, and especially because he ended up running for I believe Senate in Texas. Yes, yes, and just got demolished because <laughs> exactly. everyone hates him. <laughs> Because he killed five hookers outside a bar in New Mexico. Allegedly. Allegedly. He it's, never... He's never on the record denied it. I will believe that it's not true when he tells me that it's not true. Craig James is also the one that, like, to this day, refuses to acknowledge that he received money while at SMU. When Eric Dickerson was, like, rubbing $100 bills all over himself, driving a brand new, you know, Trans Am. And you're like, yeah, Craig James, you didn't get any money? Everyone else on the team got money, but you didn't. Maybe Craig James was just real genuinely upset. He's like, where was my cash? I didn't get no fucking cash. This is Maybe bullshit. he did get the money, but then he was trying to hide it, so he buried it wherever he buried the hookers, and then he's just generally upset about it. <laughs> he admits that he's also in trouble and moneyless. Like an idiot. Because he forgot where he, where he buried the money. And the hookers. God. And the hookers. God damn it. Uh, anyway. So, guys, I'm, I'm glad we've had a lot to talk about this offseason, but I'm even more glad that the offseason is almost over. We are literally a day away at the moment that we are recording from official, well, technically we had some last week, but I think more well-known football games with teams that we recognize, you know. So I guess before we get into our predictions, which is basically what we've got going on this week, Let's just go ahead and ask, what are y'all most looking forward to this season? Andrew, I'll start with you because you're a Georgia Tech fan, so really the answer should be not much, but I mean... <laughs> you know, I think Georgia Tech on defense is going to be interesting to watch because, you know, we've got a new defensive coordinator. I will fully admit I love watching Clemson. I do. I mean, Clemson, especially that front four defensively, is just so much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. They're so athletic. Their ability to beat blocks, ability to do things. And the Clemson offense is a really fun scheme. It's got a lot of fun moving parts, as well as, you know, I expect Trevor Lawrence to be the starter within the next couple of weeks. So just to see how he grows. Um, if, it, if, if I didn't hate Georgia... I would probably enjoy watching Georgia a little bit more because of the again the talent. Uh, it's always frustrating. But like I, I want to watch it because their defense is so talented, and I love watching good defensive football. But I don't want to watch good things happen to, to Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. So <laughs> I struggle with that. I, I'm excited. I want, Wisconsin is another team that really really excites me because you know they've got three first round picks possibly on the offensive line. You know, they've got Jonathan Taylor back, who is an unbelievable running back as a freshman. Oh, yeah. You know, Alex Heisman-Brook at quarterback, as Wisconsin fans have colloquially called him. And and a, and a pretty underrated defense. I think Jim Leonard's been a really good defensive coordinator up, up there stepping in when Dave Aranda left. Mm. You know, he's definitely a guy who gets a lot out of 
probably the not most talented defense they'll have, but schemes well. The guys are fundamentally sound. They play in the scheme, and they're just fun to watch. You know, the problem is they don't play anybody. Yeah, it's but, always a problem. You know, and then like, I mean, there's just there's I love I love college football season. There's so many teams to watch. There's so much fun to see. You know, Kennesaw State. Georgia State tomorrow night. I'm gonna watch. Uh the the planks. The Plank, planks. Planks are coming. You know, and I'm the weirdo that watches. You know, I want to watch Georgia Southern, uh, whoever they play on Saturday, because their new their new offensive coordinator from New Mexico, who runs a lot of gun option stuff that I'm really excited to see. Just just football. Like I love just sitting down on a Saturday. You know, I'm gonna get up at like 9:30. I'm gonna fire my grill up at 10:30. I've got about four pounds of chicken wings that I'm going to marinate all night, Friday night, that I'm going to throw on the grill. I'm going to have a bunch of cold beer. Like, I'm I'm ready. Like, this is, you know, this is my holiday. Like, I'm, I'm getting married in a year, but it's going to be awesome. But first opening weekend of college football will always be my favorite holiday. Yeah. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. everyone. Now, Elizabeth's probably going to kill me for saying that. I'm sorry. I still love you. Oh, so worry. She doesn't listen to this podcast. No, she doesn't. Either. Yeah, I mean, no, no one that actually loves me actually listens to this podcast. So it's a move point. <laughs> it's a dark turn we just took. All right, Artem, what's your what are the things about this season that you're most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the collapse of LSU that's been a couple years in coming. Um, you know, they lost the bowl game. They lost to Troy last season. They have a guy who got kicked off the USC team as their head coach. You know, pieces are kind of lining up. If you look at their record since they lost the national championship game to Bama um, in 2012, um, they've been steadily declining since then. Either, I would say on average, a half a win under the, the year they did before. They did step up a little bit last season because of potentially Ed Orgeron being in the same seat as Les Miles and potentially getting fired. But uh, I think they... I think their collapse is coming. You know, they're not they're not building the same talent they've had on defenses. They're they've been locked out of Texas the last kind of two years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of defense they field since the you know usually they have these lockdown corners they can kind of shut you down and have causing been causing trouble to Alabama. Uh, but this year they had to convert a wide receiver to the corner position to to have enough depth there. I'm looking forward to the collapse of LSU, uh, potentially A&M finally beating them. Hopefully in the, the Jimbo era, we'll get a good uh, jump with that. I'm looking forward on seeing a tight end and a, t- a fullback on the field for Texas A&M. That hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, and it's going to be funny to see. Uh, I think out of the top predicted first touchdowns are uh, either a, a fullback dive or a pass to the tight end, I think the top two that I've seen. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um College football for me in general is a lot more interesting to watch than the NFL because even though there are teams that remain kind of the centerpieces and are the, the big items, uh, for example, Ohio State, Alabama, you know, LSU, these kind of blue chip programs, USC, um, it's always interesting because there's a four, every four years there's a turnover and anything can happen. And it's it, these, these programs, are, programs are blue chip programs because they've lasted the test of time, right? They've had coaches that even though that four-year turnover happens of uh, players coming through, uh, new schools building excitement, new coaches getting hired, some of those schools have kind of stuck around. So I think the playing field in college football is leveling out a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see uh, which way it moves this year. 
Yeah, I guess that's kind of gets into what my most excitement is for is I guess this looks like the first year since we've started the college football playoff where we're going to get a large swath of new teams potentially entering the playoff. I know a lot of the pundits are still talking about Bama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, but I'm looking at a lot of these teams like Michigan State, like Wisconsin, like Stanford and uh, USC potentially, TCU and West Virginia going up against Oklahoma. I don't really see anybody challenging Bama, but, I mean, that's because they're Bama, and what are you going to do? Potentially Miami out of the ACC. There's a lot of exciting potential on the horizon. Now, how much of that will make it through week one? I don't fucking know, but it'll be exciting to see. I'm really hopeful going into this season to see, hopefully see some new teams showing off how skilled they are and providing some bright potential with all the talent they've brought in. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into our picks. So we've got our list of the top games from week one. We're not going to be picking every single game. I think uh, typical, as typical for the NCAA week one, a lot of teams are playing uh, FBS programs, lower tier programs that they can probably get a pretty easy win, win against. But we will be picking some of the higher tier matchups, and uh, I guess we'll let people make their personal picks. So I know, Artem, you'll, for example, be picking Texas A&M. Um, but to start things off, Tommy couldn't be here today, so I'm going to be reading off what he gave me. Our first game is Northwestern at Purdue. Currently, Purdue is getting a 1.5, uh, is a 1.5 point favorite in this matchup. So, they were a day ago. Oh. Uh, I will never understand gambling. This is why I'm a bad gambler. They gambling ch- numbers make no sense to me. It depends on when you gamble. They change so quickly. I don't uh, have enough money to gamble. Um, so, yeah. So, like I said, they're a 1.5 favorite is Purdue over Northwestern at the moment. Uh Tommy's comments, it's a big conference game to start off the season for these two teams. As of noon Wednesday, the spread has dropped to Purdue 1.5. Uh, Northwestern quarterback Clayton Tar- Thorson is listed as a game-time decision, which could be the difference. But Northwestern hasn't lost to Purdue since 2010, so Tommy is picking Northwestern. All right, with that in mind, I'll start it off with you, Artem. Who do you got in this matchup? I picked Purdue in this one. Uh, my logic is essentially Purdue's building up a program. They had Drew Brees come back and invest a lot of money into it. I think they took a big step forward last year. And even though they haven't lost to Northwestern since 2010, 2011, uh, I think they're going to win this one. It's a it's a home game. Uh, they have a lot of talent coming back from last year. I see them winning this one. Okay. Artem, uh, Andrew. I think Tommy hit on it. If Clayton Thorson comes in healthy, I think Northwestern's going to win it. But he's coming off a torn ACL late in the season last year. So that's really kind of your big question. Their biggest loss being Justin Jackson, their workhorse running back, who really carried the ball pretty much exclusively for them last year. So I I, I think Northwestern's going to win it. But I'm always a Northwestern homer, and more often than not, they let me down. But I think think Northwestern will go into Purdue and, and win this game as kind of your battle of the nerds, if you will, in the Big Ten. 
I will say, I think this is low-key going to be probably one of the closest games of the week one. Because both of these teams are very evenly matched, especially on offense and defense. I think, as we've all pointed out, Thorson's going to make a big impact if he shows up or not. And if he shows up at 100%. That's the other thing there. I am picking Purdue. I think it's one of those situations where Purdue is due for a win. It's the first game of the season. They're at home. And I don't think they're as bad a team as they've been the past few years. I think they're going to come in really looking. This is the highlight possibly of their uh, of their season, depending on their your perspective. Because this game could really determine down the line. I mean, it sounds silly, but Purdue's got a lot of teams on their list where it's like we're either going to win or we're going to lose. This is one of those games where – if they want to make a bowl game down the line, they have to win this game. So I think this is a much bigger deal for Purdue than it is for Northwestern, and I think they're going to win this game. Alrighty. Next up, this one's probably a bit of an easier pick. We've got Wake at Wake going on the road to Tulane. <laughs> Tommy's comment, Wake. That's it. All right, so so with that in mind, Andrew, who do you got in this match? So I want to be as confident about Wake as Tommy is because I I really have a soft spot in my heart for Wake Forest. The big question to me, though, is they're going to be starting a true freshman at quarterback in Sam Hartman because Kendall Hinton suspended for three games. You know, they've got a great pair of running backs and Matt Coburn the second and Kate Carney who are a lot of fun to watch. I think Clawson has done a fantastic job there. It's a really underrated defense that he's been able to put together. The question is, Willie Fritz, the head coach at Tulane, this is kind of his make-or-break season. You know, he came into a bad situation. He's tried to fight, tried to build them into a respectable program and, and somewhat struggled because Tulane's very much a, a little brother in New Orleans, in Louisiana. It's a, it's a really good school academically. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the same coach that had nine guys on the field defending us on one play? No. No, no, that's a different head coach. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. It was not that head coach. So I think I think Wake wins this game, but I don't I think it's close. I think it's one where they, you know, they fight up until about the fourth quarter and Wake maybe pulls away at the end. Okay. So it'll be a tight matchup, uh, in Andrew's opinion. Okay, Artem, do you feel as uh, strongly about this as Andrew does? No, I think it's. I think it's going to be Wake. Honestly, Tulane's kind of had a crappy three seasons. Uh, Wake didn't lose that much. I know they lost their quarterback, but they got a lot of other talent coming back. I think they're going to beat them. I mean, I will say we talked about this in our American conference. Uh, Tulane might be the best of the worst, but I don't think that's going to be enough to get them over Wake. So the real question becomes, uh, Vegas currently has Wake getting a six and a half point spread. So does Wake win by a touchdown or does they win by a field goal? Because really that's your gambling man's experience. I would say Wake will win by at least a touchdown. But, yeah, I think injuries do play a factor. And how seriously Wake Forest is taking this matchup. Because I do think that a lot of people, you know, Artem and Tommy and even myself included, are probably going to overlook this as just a Wake's going to walk away with it. 
And I guarantee you, Willie Fritz is not going to just let them walk away with it. No, Fritz, Fritz is a great coach. You know, you look at what he did at Georgia Southern in the, the two or three years he was at Southern where he won won the Sun Belt, made a bowl game, was really kind of building a program before the Southern administration kind of screwed him and ran him off. So, Yeah, so it should be fun. We'll see how this gets started off. But uh, right now I, I'm going to have to take Wake. All right, so next up. We've got Syracuse at Western Michigan. (laughs) This is a weird one in my book. We'll get to that in a second. Tommy's comments. Interesting fact. Western Michigan coach Tim Lester spent four years at Syracuse, two of which he was the OC, before becoming head coach at Western Michigan. He had a one-year stint as the QB coach at Purdue in between. His offense has been better at WMU with 2017 Broncos outgating the 2015 Syracuse Orange. 4,600 yards to 3,800 yards. By putting up a 33.9 versus 27.3 points per game. So obviously, Tim Lester is doing much better at Western Michigan than he is at Syracuse. It's also worth noting that last year the Broncos did this while fumbling more and earning more penalties than the average Syracuse offense. All that being said, Eric Dungy is a solid quarterback for the Orange and put up 41 on Western Michigan's rivals last season who Western Michigan lost to. I don't think the Broncos have enough in the tank to keep it up and the Syracuse will win at Kalamazoo. So that was a bit long-winded, but Artem, do you agree with Tommy? Is Syracuse going to come away with this one? Yeah, I think they will. I think uh, I don't have much to say about this matchup, honestly, but I think Syracuse is going to win this one. Uh, they're, they're they always uh, kind of challenge a lot of teams too. I think it was LSU they challenged last season. Yeah, thirty-five uh, twenty-six. It was at LSU, and they kind of kept them guessing. Well, they Dude, beat they got a strong, strong team. You know, Barbers is a good coach. I'm surprised you didn't bring up how they beat Clemson last year. That's who they beat. That's right. I think it was back to back weeks. Yeah, I, I think they got uh, they got what it takes. It's a, not a big opponent. They'll come away with this one. All right, Andrew, you seem to be contemplating this much more heavily. Well, one of the things that helps Syracuse is this game is not being played in November. Ah, yes. And as we know, Dino Dino Babers, who I really like, I really respect as a coach. You know, I love his – I don't know, you ever, if you ever watch him, some of his locker room stuff after big games, I mean, the guy's amazing. He cares about the kids. He's a great coach. He's just He hasn't won in November since he's been at Syracuse. You know, Arden talked about them beating Clemson, but then they didn't win again. I think I think Syracuse will win this game again. I think it's going to be the, on the on the arms and legs of Eric Dungy. He's a great player. I think he's a little underrated just because he's struggled staying on the field. He's had some concussion issues in the past. I think if Dungy can stay healthy in that offense, I think they've got a chance to put up some points on a Western Michigan that to me isn't the same Western Michigan we got used to with PJ Fleck. I think they've taken a step or two back from what they were, but. I think it, Syracuse should win this one pretty handily. Mm. Whether or not the score reflects, I think it'll be a game where they, they should be in control for most of it. It's a Friday game, which will be fun. Uh, so I don't know how much we'll get to watch. but I'm not as optimistic about Syracuse. Okay, to clarify, I definitely think they're going to win. Syracuse is currently a five-and-a-half-point favorite. 
The problem. I think, I think they'll cover. The problem is both of these teams are pretty terrible as far as talent is concerned. Now, so it really comes down to I don't think either of these defenses are going to be particularly powerful. So it just comes down to. Who has the most powerful offense? I do think it's Syracuse. I do think Syracuse will win in the end. I think it might be closer than the five and a half point spread, as weird as it sounds, because I just don't... Syracuse does not instill a lot of confidence in me from what I've seen out of them. But it's hard to say. I'm still picking Syracuse, so it doesn't really change much. I'm just saying I think this could definitely be a closer game than people realize because uh, Syracuse is not that much ahead of Western Michigan talent-wise. All right, next up, Army at Duke. Uh, Tommy basically said, go Army, beat Duke, but he still thinks Duke is going to win. So, sorry. So, sorry about that. Andrew, I, I know that uh, you've got, always got some thoughts on teams that run a similar offense to Georgia Tech. So what do you got as far as Army goes? As I said, us, us option guys got to stick together. There aren't a lot of us in this world. It's the reason I'm a Kennesaw State fan, too. Army's biggest question is a quarterback replacing Wild Bradshaw. It looks like Colin Hopkins, a junior from actually from Charlotte, North Carolina, is looking to be the starter. I think their depth is really at the B-back position with Darrell Woolfolk and Andy Davidson, who really, you know, two big-bodied, you know, 5'9", 230, 6'2", 230, power running backs. Duke struggled against Army last year. It was it was a lower scoring game. I think Army kind of got ahead and then stood up. I, I think the Duke defense is going to be the better part of their team early in the season. Joe Giles Harris, you know, a pretty talented experienced secondary at Duke. The question's going to be what can the Army defense do against Daniel Jones and that Duke offense that I think is going to come out and want to run the ball. I think that's what Duke's really going to try to do. And my question is, can Army stop him enough and score enough? I really want Army to win. I would love for Army to win. I, you know, Jeff Munkin, so my boys, I love Coach Munkin. I love Army. But I think this is a situation where Duke's just got too much talent and is just going to, you know, may, may give up 300 yards on the ground, but will score enough that they'll probably win the game. All right. Artem, who'd you got? I got Duke in this one. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the – what is the, what are the biggest odds at now? Yeah, uh, 14. Four, they're a two-touchdown favorite at home. Yeah, 14 points. I think it's going to be a lot closer than 14 points, but I think Duke is going to come away with it in the end. Okay, fair enough. So I really – some picks you don't go with logic. Some picks you just go with your gut. For me, I don't know why it is. I think Army's going to win. Again, don't really have any logic. I hope so. I'm, I'm excited to go to that game. I mean, I'm excited we're going to get a chance to go and watch them. You know, our last trip to Wallace Wade wasn't uh, was not very great. positive. So. Well, and I mean, honestly, like we've all talked about, if Duke's defense shows up the way we expect them to, they really... And, ex- and especially the way they played against George Tech last year. They, they really should win. Yeah. But I'm still picking Army. i just going with my gut. All right, next up, we've got... South San Diego State, not South Dakota State, at Stanford. So Stanford is a 15.5 point favorite. Tommy again simply says, 
Stanford. So, Artem, uh, I'm going to pass it over to you. Who you got in this matchup? I've got Stanford. I think he's going to be, once again, closer than the 15.5 points that Vegas has him under, simply because both teams have to replace talent that they lost at running back. And based on that, I think it's going to be a semi-closed game in the first half, but I think Stanford will pull away towards the end and probably win by about seven to ten points when the game's all over. Stanford just has bigger bodies, um, and they don't play fast football most of the time. It's logical, pound you into the ground down the field. I just don't have. I don't think the uh, San Diego State team has the defensive alignment to be able to be in the trenches with Stanford for the entire game. All right, Andrew, who do you got? I think Stanford wins by at least two touchdowns, and Bryce Love puts up 200 yards on the ground. Ooh. I don't think it's close. Really? I think Stanford comes out with a chip on their shoulder with trying to say, hey, this is the year we're going to compete. This is the year that we're going to come out and we're going to challenge for the Pac-12 North. We're going to play a role in the national discussion. I mean, there's talent and there's depth all over the place. I think they finally settled on K.J. Costello at quarterback. You're not going to see the issues they struggled with last year with revolving quarterbacks. Obviously, we've seen that Bryce Love is straight up a grown-ass man. Stanford's offensive line is always deep. They're always talented. And I just I think Stanford's going to use this as a statement game. I think they're going to come out and go... We're Stanford. You need to pay attention to us this year. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm changing back my pick. Madden 19 got me confused. I already drafted Bryce Love for the Vikings. So, yeah, <laughs> totally forgot he was still on that team. I'm giving it Stanford by that, three touchdowns. This is like the third time you have forgotten Bryce Love is still on Stanford. You were already picking Stanford. Now you're just picking him by a bigger margin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I am also picking Stanford. I will say that I do think this is a potential sneak upset game. There is a potential, given what SDSU can do on offense, that they could somehow overcome Stanford. But realistically, uh, I think if Stanford comes out and performs the way they should, there isn't a real chance of them losing this game. That's uh, that's Wake Forest, North Carolina's own Bryce Love. <laughs> yeah, went to Wake Forest Rollsville High School in Wake Forest, North Carolina. The actual Wake, the Forest. actual Wake Forest, not Wake Forest University in Winston Salem. Yes. The actual town. Of to Wake clarify, because a lot of people are still confused by that. So the story I always heard, complete non sequitur, is that Wake Forest was originally founded in Wake Forest. It was, and then moved to Winston Salem. It was, yeah. I don't know when that happened. Which, but. which I think Duke University technically did the same thing. Was found as like Trinity College somewhere else in North Carolina, and then moved to Durham. So the moral of the story is we're picking Stanford. All right, next up on the list, Colorado, Colorado State. So uh, Tommy had Colorado because Hawaii dismantled Colorado State and the Buffs threw two picks to the Rams last year only to, to give up only three points. He, he sees no way that the Buffs don't win this one. So Tommy's got Colorado. Are, Andrew, are you agreeing with him? You know, I did, and then I watched Colorado State lose to Hawaii. And then 
And Colorado State's the favorite. They're a seven and a half point favorite, right? No, it's Colorado. Sad Colorado is seven and a half. Are you sure? Uh, they because were. I'm looking at ESPN's pick center. They were yesterday. It is. You're right. I'm dumb. I can't read plus minus because I don't gamble well or read good. Yeah, minus means that's they win. Yeah. Yeah. So the spreads Colorado State minus seven and a half. Interesting. Like, well, no, it's actually wrong because their spread consensus pick is Colorado minus seven and a half, but their little thing is Colorado State minus seven. I don't know. Whatever. I think Colorado wins. I think Steven Montez is a pretty Oh, good they are picking. They are kicking Colorado State. Which by is seven funny and a half. because Colorado has a like 79% chance to win per FPI. Yeah, betting is weird. Anyway, but yeah. I think it's Colorado. I think it's it's a big in state win. I think Steven Montez is a pretty good quarterback. I think the talent's there for Colorado. And like Tommy kind of said, the interceptions you hope don't come. You hope Montez plays a better game. But uh, to be fair, we didn't expect a lot out of Hawaii this year. We didn't think they were going to be very good. And for them to kind of dominate offensively the way they did against Colorado State doesn't really bode well for that Colorado State defense because I think Colorado is a better team offensively than Hawaii, talent-wise. So, Okay. Um, Artem, how do you feel about the matchup? Uh, currently attending school in Colorado State online, so I'm going to pick Colorado State in this one. But more than just the bias, I do think I watched. Uh, I did watch the game of Colorado State versus Hawaii, and I do think Colorado State found their identity that I'm not sure they knew they had in the game before that. And because they started the game out heavy run, and that was successful for them. The problem is they took a while to get their passing game going. By the time they did. It was a little too late in the game. Uh, if there was more time on the clock, they probably would have won that one. There was another quarter. But obviously, we played for four quarters, and they didn't have what it took in that game. But I think Colorado lost enough in the secondary to where Colorado State's newfound passing game last game will do uh, quite a bit of damage. So I'm uh, picking Colorado State in a really close one. It's a big state rivalry, too. So I, I think that will be a huge part in it. And I will say, so, and I'm picking Colorado State. Because I know, so, I know you don't have the CBS Sports Package, so I know you didn't actually watch that game. You're just going off the stats and what you heard. I saw highlights. So, at, what I saw watching the game, so maybe I've got a different perspective because I was actually watching the full game. The secondary for Colorado State is definitely poor, but their D-line was getting pressure on every play. The problem was Hawaii State. Hawaii's quarterback was just... So good at overcoming that pressure. So the real question comes down to can they pressure the Colorado quarterback? So I think it's going to be an offensive battle. And like Artem, I do think that Colorado State uh, can bounce back. I think they found a second gear that they didn't realize they had in the end of that game. So can the Colorado State defensive front put pressure on the quarterback and can their offense keep going like they were at the end of that Hawaii game? If so, I don't see any reason why they can't win that matchup. I think everybody's favoring Colorado because they definitely have more talent, but that hasn't necessarily translated on the field. I'm picking Colorado State. That one should be a fun game to watch, certainly. Next up, uh, Texas v. Maryland. So Tommy has... Tommy says, I know Artem has feelings. Texas wins over a reeling Maryland. Uh, so Tommy's got Texas. 
Artem, he mentioned your feelings on the matter. Uh, who do you got in this matchup? I got Maryland. Uh, I think there's a lot going on here on both programs. I think it's going to be an emotional game. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think it is. And the biggest factor is going to be the fact that whereas Maryland is not recruiting the same type of class that Texas is on a yearly basis, I think not just the emotion, but the fact that Texas is not developing those players, whereas Maryland is doing all this off-season training, apparently, that's killing their guys. Um, I'm sure that's what uh, technically got them to beat Texas last year at Texas. I know Texas will be looking to come into Maryland and cause a storm, but I think the Maryland community is more of a uh, come together around a cause and, you know, the team coming together, whereas Texas is more, you know, it's about, it's a lot of, it's kind of like watching uh, LeBron or like one of those teams where everybody, or Brazil is a good one in the World Cup, right? Like, they don't play as a team, they play as a lot of individual pieces that play well. Um, I know Texas lacks a, a defensive line, so I think Maryland will run right through them. They don't have a lot of depth there, especially if some injuries happen. And they lost a lot of uh, talent to the draft. So, I don't know. You know this is the first person in the, in the backfield with combined with the lack of defensive line depth. I think uh, they're going to be paper thin this year and uh, very weak to the run. I think it's close, but I do think... No. Okay. So, Artem's got Maryland. Andrew, do you agree with him? This is one where I'm really torn because I'm not exactly – every time I see something that makes me want to go one way or another, I see something else that pushes me in the other direction. It's going to be really interesting to see how Matt Canada handles being the interim head coach. I have a lot of respect and really enjoy watching a lot of Matt Canada's offense as an offensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see how he handles – being the interim head coach, having to deal with a lot of things that an offensive coordinator, you know, doesn't really have to deal with. And so that'll be really kind of fascinating. You know, Maryland last year really struggled because all of their quarterbacks got hurt. It looks like they haven't technically picked a starter. It's either going to be Kasim Hill or Tyrell Pigram. So that's going to be an interesting question. I think Artem kind of hit on it really heavily. Maryland ran for 263 yards and four touchdowns last year against Texas. So if Texas can't stop that run, they're they're going to struggle mightily. And Texas themselves, you know, they name, named Sam Erlinger as the starting quarterback in what Tom Herman say. Shane made it very difficult to make that decision, probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make as a head coach. So that's one of those where uh, – he may have won the locker room. He may have won the respect of the other players. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. I, I, I think the spread's too high. I think this is going to be a close game. I, I don't think that Texas wins by 13 and a half. Yeah. Um, I think Texas does win because I think in the end, the talent and the Texas distractions, the talent's better at Texas and the distractions are less than what you have in Maryland. Yeah, and I guess my logic is very much the same. If Maryland had less of the off-field issues, you know, just slightly less of the off-field issues, I might pick Maryland. But 
there's too much crazy controversy going on there with a coach overworking his players to the point of death, people who don't know what the future of the program is going to be, all kinds of issues with players not even sure if they want to stake around. It's it's a huge mess. I got to pick Texas. Texas has more talent, or they should have more talent anyway, and they should be prepared from what they saw last year. I got to believe in Texas unless something highly unusual happens. It really hurt more when Andrew picked it than when Tommy did. But my feelings are hurt. <laughs> All right. I, I, if it makes you feel better, this is probably one of the toughest ones on the week. I mean, even even given, like, Auburn, Washington, this one just, you know, because like you said, you, Texas has really struggled with having talent and not turning it into anything. It's funny you say that because Auburn, Washington has you pulling your hair out. You're just trying to... Granted, they're nose hairs, but still, I mean, like, you're just yanking them out. Hairs I got growing out of my ears. Oh, man. But, okay, before we get to that one, next up, Ole Miss versus Texas Tech and in Houston. So, Tommy says Tony the Shark has a poor day for you. Texas Tech wins in Houston in a shootout. And I'm just going to go ahead and get mine out of the way. My prediction is tortillas greater than land sharks, Texas Tech. So, Andrew, with that in mind, who do you got in this matchup? I, I think it's Ole Miss. I think Cliff Kingsbury is coaching for his job, and he doesn't get off to a good start. I like the talent at Ole Miss. I like the quarterback at Ole Miss. They kind of have an understanding of what they're trying to do. You know, you don't have the uncertainty anymore. Matt Luke is the head coach. He's the guy they brought in to keep the continuity. And they had some talent last year. I think they were just – you know, so discombobulated given the situations they were dealing with that they had a lot of losses in places they probably shouldn't lose. You know, I I believe Texas Tech is having to replace their quarterback. Um, I, I believe, you know, Shimanock, I think, was their starter last year who who's graduated and moved on. So it's going to be interesting to see how a, a new, you know, not sure how young he is, quarterback steps into – that Kingsbury offense. And, you know, two years ago, he, I think he had the first thousand yard rusher in the history of his career, which to me showed, and I hate to do this because balance is something that I think is a little overrated, but I think it can, in these situations, play a big role in a team like Texas Tech when you know what they want to do. And as well as their defense just struggles, Texas Tech has had trouble defensively for a decade and a half. Yeah, I mean, Mike Leach was the last Texas Tech coach that had any semblance of a defense, which is funny given that his Washington State defenses have struggled. But I think, I think Ole Miss. I think if this game was in Lubbock, I would be a little more bully on Texas Tech. But I think because it's in Houston and it's more of a, a neutral site type game, I think, I think that actually ends up being a small advantage to Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss ends up winning this game. Okay, Artem, who do you got in this matchup? Uh, I think Andrew hit the nail on the head. Uh, Ole Miss has their quarterback coming back, Jordan Tamu. He's experienced. He's going to play well in this game. Uh, Ole Miss has a decent defense, which Texas Tech does not have. And Ole Miss now has to earn their strippers and prostitutes, whereas before they were just given to them. <laughs> but due to the NCAA investigation, they have to pay for that kind of stuff now. And to be able to pay for that kind of stuff, you got to perform on the field. Texas Tech is in Lubbock. There's... Nothing really there. Gotcha. So, almost. Okay. 
All right. Well, now we've got the really frustrating one. Uh, Washington versus Auburn. Auburn's got a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll start off with Tommy because he's the only person I've talked to who's made a reasonable argument. Auburn replaces four of the offensive line and carry on Johnson. Combine that with Washington replacing a first-round pick in the NFL draft off the D-line with a 322-pound replacement puts Gus Malzahn's run-focused attack in a precarious place. Washington returns most of a top 25 defensive secondary, so slinging the ball isn't advised. So this could be a great matchup. The Auburn D returns eight core players and should be a smash-mouth defense that will be hard to beat out. Look for Jake Browning to rely on his tight ends in quick possession-focused throws to relieve some of the pressure early. Peterson will look to the UCF trickery that won the bowl game and will probably think back to those Boise State shenanigans that he is famous for. Could be plenty of trick plays involved. Tommy expects Washington to win. He is highly optimistic. Now, uh, Artem, I'll start with you. Who do you have in this matchup? Oh, yeah, Washington winning this one. I think this is Jake Browning's kind of showcase here. He's going to be a top 10 pick in next year's draft. They do have Jacob Eason as well. So it's a lot of talent in the quarterback position, even if Jake Browning does go down. Yeah, I generally don't pick against the Huskies, whether it's NIU or Washington. So I'm going to go and Washington on this one just because it's such a close game. It's going to be hard to pick otherwise. Okay, Andrew. Tommy made some really valid points that I hadn't thought about. <laughs> I think Browning and running back Miles Gaskins are going to play a really big role in this. Though, to be fair, Auburn was a team was really one of the only teams last year that really shut down Georgia's running game. I mean, yeah. and Georgia ran the ball really well last year, as much as that hurts me to say. And so that's really the kind of question is, does Auburn have enough back Especially in their front four where, you know, our boy Big Cat Bryant at Auburn playing, uh, playing know, defensive right? end. If there's enough there. Plus, I, again, as I, as I think I said in our SEC podcast, Jared Stidham's really fascinating because he's not your traditional Gus Malzahn quarterback. He's not fleet of foot. You know, he's not going to be a primary ball carrier. You know, he's wow. not. He's a very much a pocket passer. Yeah, he's he's not Cam Newton or Nick Marshall, so you're not going to expect that out of him. But it's been really great to see how Malzahn and co-OCs Chip Lindsey and Cody Burns have really tweaked that offense to fit the skill set, which to me is a really big. In my mind, I mean, I think your really good offensive coordinators are able to do that. You know. Elliott and Scott at Clemson do that to an extent really well, too, where they're able to take their scheme and tailor it to the talent they have. The loss at running back for Auburn, I think, is a big thing. Carrion Johnson really carried the load for them last year, and definitely when he missed, I believe, the SEC title game, you could really see the difference in it. Replacing offensive linemen is always going to be tough. I, it's, it's a neutral site game. Being played in Atlanta, it's 90 minutes from Auburn, Auburn Alabama yeah. to Alabama, to Atlanta, Georgia. Whereas with Washington, you're flying all the and way. And so I think I think much like the Georgia Tech Tennessee game last year, it's a technical neutral site. But I think you're going to have a lot more 
Weagle, Weagle, War Eagle, then you might necessarily have Washington, whatever the Husky cheer is. Washington fans, if you listen to the pod, just let us know what your cheer is. I... I, the problem is I hate picking Auburn because you have no fucking clue what Auburn's going to do. We've had this discussion like a million <laughs> Every times. Every time we talk about Auburn, we have this discussion. But you know what? I like Malzahn. I like Chip Lindsey. I, I think Auburn finds a way to win it. I think it's a low-scoring game. I don't think we're going to see a lot of offensive fireworks. So I'm seeing like a like a 21 to 17. I mean a low scoring kind of game where Auburn does enough to win it. Yeah, I guess I'm also picking Auburn. My my logic is not so much logic again as it's gut feeling. Auburn has a way of pissing me off, and if they won this game, it would really piss me off. So I, I'm gonna pick Auburn. I think they have they find ways to frustrate me, and I I think they can do so here. All right, next up, we've got West Virginia versus Tennessee at a neutral site in Charlotte. So Tommy, again, is keeping it simple. He simply says, West Virginia, I'm going to go ahead and get mine out of the way. I'm going to say, until I see evidence that Tennessee can properly utilize the talent that they have, I don't see a possible way that West Virginia could fuck this up. Spread has West Virginia by... Seven currently. I think West Virginia covers that pretty easily. All right. Andrew, who do you got? Almost heaven. West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains. Shenandoah River. So since you're not... That's what I was going to do. Dang it. Country roads. Take me home. To the place. Okay, stop it, or we're gonna get copyrighted. West Virginia. Yeah, I I think West Virginia wins this game going away. Uh, I'm all aboard the the Will Greer, David Stills hype train. I I think this is West Virginia's best year to much like I talked about earlier with Stanford, really, you know, plant their flag early and say, Hey, we're here to compete. We're here for you to pay attention to and we're going to fight. And I think I think this is a game where West Virginia really comes out and does that. Okay, so Artem, since you were going to do the exact same gig, uh, gag, can't, should I even ask? Nah, I got West Virginia in this one. I think Tennessee's their first year with Pruitt. I, I just don't think they have what it takes to beat a stable team with an uh, experienced quarterback. Okay. Next up on the list, UNC at Cal. Cal's got Cal is currently the seven point favorite. Tommy simply says, Cal. Uh, I have also picked Cal. My only comment: Who picked this opening game schedule for UNC, where you've got Cal followed by UCF? This was so stupid. That person should be fired. Okay. With that in mind, Artem, who do you got in this matchup? I got North Carolina. They injured like everybody in the TD last season, so all of those people at least know the system coming back. And they also got a lot of depth from the new guys who weren't in the TD. They got to play, so I think they have a lot of talent. Hopefully, they use the off season to figure out, you know, what um, who to play out of those talented and experienced players. And you know, their head coach doesn't believe that uh, football causes CTE, so I'm sure they did a lot of contact. <laughs> 
Okay, so Andrew, with the fact that Elizabeth doesn't listen to this podcast in mind, who do you got in this matchup? I mean, I, I still think I'm going to end up having to sleep on the couch, <laughs> She's, regardless. She just knows. She just does. That's that's what happens when you get engaged and stuff. But I think Cal wins it. I think North Carolina's got too many questions at too many spots. They've got guys out. They've got guys suspended. You know, Nathan Elliott's won the quarterback job, but the defense struggled mightily last year. They probably lost their best pass rusher in Malik Carney. You know, they've, they're going to have some issues there. I saw one of the running backs got hurt, which fortunately running back is probably the deepest position at Carolina, so it's not as big of a deal. But I think just between the, you know, the cross-coast travel – and everything, and just kind of coming out flat. I think it's a game they're going to struggle in, and I, I think it's one that Cal's got enough weapons in enough places to to win this game, kind of like they did last year. I think it'll be close. You know, I don't think it's going to be a, a Cal runs away with it, but I just don't think North Carolina's got the horses to, to, to end up making enough plays to win this game. Fair enough. All right, next up, possibly the biggest matchup of the weekend, uh, Michigan at Notre Dame. Michigan is favored by literally one point, getting down very close at this point. Um, So Tommy's comment, Michigan had a top 10 defense that replaced nine players last year and returned eight starters this year. Notre Dame is replacing five draft picks, including two on the O-line in top 10 picks. Their top receiving target and top rusher. On the other side, Michigan has a new savior in Ole Miss QB transfer Shea Patterson, who recently cleared by the NCAA for immediate play this year. He is so much of a hero that Harbaugh has named him the starter for a full two weeks before the start of the first game. Inspiring stuff. That being said, a trio of 300-plus-pound linemen in front of him, including 6'3", 350-pound, Oh, God damn it, I hate pronouncing names. Michael Onwenu, bruising Ben Mason at fullback, and enough big tight ends to keep fresh kegs rotated all game. Oh, sorry, that's legs. I just like drinking. (laughs) Um, Should make his job pretty easy. Just hand the ball off. Michigan wins. Okay, before we get... Before I hand it to Andrew, I just want to say I didn't really put much thought into this. I just said Michigan, but it's close. This is another one of those games that could go either way. I just think Michigan has more talent at the moment. Andrew, who do you got? I kind of want both teams to lose. (laughs) You know, Tommy actually made a very convincing argument. I think the loss of Quentin Nelson on the offensive line for Notre Dame is going to be a really hard piece to replace. Nelson's a really good player, and I think it's going to have – be in place for a really good career with the Colts and wherever he ends up. The other interesting side to me is how a guy like Shea Patterson, who's a more athletic, dual-threat type quarterback who somewhat thrived in that Hugh Freeze, you know, zone read, RPO type offense, adjust to what Harbaugh wants to kind of slow the ball down, run with a fullback, see what he can do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that that offense really evolves with Patterson and what it tries to do. <sighs> yeah, gracious, I don't want to pick anybody. I don't want either of them to win. I'm not confident. I, I think Michigan maybe wins it just because they have fewer questions. I think is the biggest part to me. They have less to replace. They're going to be good defensively, and with Notre Dame, I, especially losing Mike Elko to Texas A&M, it's going to be questionable what 
kind of their schemes look like and what they're trying to do. I think, again, I think it comes down to Notre Dame has more questions than Michigan does. So I think Michigan finds a way to win the game. Gotcha. All right. Artem, you picking Michigan as well? Yeah, I got Michigan over this one. In this one, I think it's going to be a big score difference, though. Uh, I think they're going to win big. The reason for that is, you know, part of it, Andrew mentioned, uh, in Notre Dame lost their defensive coordinator. They do have the linebackers coach that they had last year step up as defensive coordinator, and he was the understudy under Elko for a long time. I don't think it'll be too much of a drop-off, but I did get the privilege of seeing Shea Patterson in an Ole Miss uniform at Kyle Field and excruciatingly yelling at his ass for, you know, avoiding freaking Miles Garrett and getting tackled. So I, I think he's a game changer. I think they had every other piece to win big, and this has been kind of one of the only few positions where they had an average production. Um, I think this guy will put out more than needed in, in, in that arena, as far as if a play breaks down, I think he can make a lot happen in that. So teams are going to have a hard time, even with a lot of film planning, game planning for that. We sure as hell couldn't. Um, and uh, I think I think there was a quote that I saw too that it was the the defensive coordinator for Michigan was cussing out Shea Patterson because there was nothing he could do to stop to put enough pressure on this dude to not be able to throw accurately so I think yeah, there was some the quote was essentially like the defensive coordinator called that Shea Patterson was me starting all the way back in spring so yeah I mean it, based on what Tommy said he's been the starter for a while um okay so we've all got Michigan in this one next up Louisville v Bama at a neutral site so I think I've got a fair guess as to who everyone's picking in this matchup but let's go ahead and say Tommy simply says, Bama, my only notes on this game. Why do people talk shit before playing Bama? Bama, and it's not even close. Artem, you're the only one that I'm not sure on. Who do you got in this matchup? I got Bama. They lost Lamar Jackson, and that was the only reason Louisville was relevant last year. That kid kept him in so many games. I just don't see Louisville putting up even a fight in this one. Bama, big. Andrew, should I even ask? So... Louisville really struggled last year defensively. And when you've got a team like Alabama that pretty much wants to run the ball down your throat and, honest to God, has the talent to do it in the Harris boys, Najee and Damian, I feel like this is this is a game where you could start me at quarterback and Bama would still probably win it. Can you hand the ball off? Oh, yes. <laughs> I can take two steps and give it to a Harris. And I think Artem kind of hit on it. You know, Jawan Pass made some comments, the the starting quarterback at Louisville, that he probably shouldn't have made. Uh, I, people just need to go look at what Vanderbilt said last year. Alabama's not a team where you really should say anything about anything mm. because nine times out of ten, they're going to be more talented than you. They're probably going to be better prepared than you. So, it's not going to look good. Nah. Uh, I, now, my only thing is, it's a 24.5-point spread. That's a big spread to me. Like, I think Alabama wins. I don't think it's a competition. I think Alabama dominates every facet of the game. But that's a big spread. So, you're just saying by 21 points. Yeah, like I think they went by three touchdowns maybe instead of more than three. 
I mean, yeah, to be fair, at that point, I think Saban could just be like, yeah, sir, whatever. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, and I think I think we don't really get an answer to the Tua Tagovailoa-Jalen Hurts question. I think Tua starts, I think Hurts plays. We I haven't mean, heard yet. I mean, they're technically co-starters, so whatever. I mean, ors are great. I thought I saw somewhere that Jeremy Pruitt on his 2D had or like 19 times. Oh, fuck it. So... You know, I think it'll be a good tune-up game for Alabama because I think Louisville's a decent team. I just think that they're not even close to the level of a team like an Alabama. Mm. You know, a guy like Raekwon Davis, you know, 6'7", 316, a defensive end, is, I think, going to have a lot of success against an offensive line that struggled but looked a little bit better because when you've got a guy like Lamar Jackson who has that escapability that Juwan Pass doesn't really have. I also question, Juwan Pass made the comment about having an Alabama offer. I kind of want to question if that was a committable offer. Uh, yeah, I don't think like so. He may, he may have had an offer at one time, but I bet if he had tried to commit, they would have been like, wait a minute. But yeah, I think, you know, and I don't think we're going to learn a lot about this Alabama team from this game because I think the talent disparity is just so much. All right. Well, with that in mind, next up, talking about teams with talent disparity. So we've got BYU at Arizona. Arizona's favored by 11.5 points. Tommy keeps it simple, says BYU extends their seven-game losing streak to the end of 2017. Uh, I've got Arizona. My only notes are there is no way BYU wins this game. So, Andrew, I'm turning it over to you. Who do you got in this matchup? Um... I think it's Arizona. I think Khalil Tate in the offense that Kevin Sumlin is bringing in has a chance to be maybe not completely a Johnny Manziel-type player, but I think his skill set really fits what Sumlin's trying to and wants to do. On top of the fact that I think BYU is really struggling, I think Mendenhall kind of taped together a bit of their issues and was able to get a lot out of guys that the new head coach maybe isn't able to get. I think they've struggled offensively. I think Tanner Mangum at quarterback really hasn't turned into what they were really hoping he would become. They had a lot of success with Taysom Hill because Taysom Hill is a freakish athlete with, you know, able to move the pocket, able to play in the in an option type game and Mangum's really not that kind of player, and I think losing Mendenhall and the OC to Virginia has really set them back offensively, and I think there's a lot of questions that BYU's going to have to answer in the next year. Satani may not last the year, and it's going to be a really interesting idea as to who BYU looks to replace him, whether they look at a guy like Niamatololo at Navy. I know that BYU requires their head coach to be a member of the LDS faith. So that's really going to kind of limit a lot of the hiring pool that you're really looking at. I mean, I think Nia Matalolo may have been the better hire when they hired Satani and they just didn't do it. But yeah, I think Arizona wins this game pretty much going away. All right, Artem, who do you got? We had Arizona in this one. I think Andrew kind of mentioned it, but someone came in. He brought in his offensive coordinator that had pretty much made um, one of our quarterbacks look really good. Oh, man, I can't remember his name right now. He, oh, 
man, I can't remember his name, but um, he made him look good. He ran for almost a thousand yards that year. I think that Khalil Tate's going to make that look like nothing, maybe two thousand yards. I also do know that Arizona has a lack of depth at linebacker, so I, I would, and I've heard some pretty hype things from the BYU camp. So I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but I think Arizona will. Okay, fair enough. So everybody's got Arizona on that one. Next up, Navy going on the road, the sea, I guess. Not really the road to Hawaii. So Tommy's basic comment is he's got Navy. Um, he says after a great first half against CSU, Hawaii really let them get back into the game. Navy won't be as easy to control early. Navy wins. Pretty straightforward. Artem, who do you got in this matchup? Uh, I think Hawaii is the real deal this year. I think they can beat Navy. Navy lost to Army for the first time in a long time last year, and that's what they're coming off of. So I, I think I think Hawaii's got that hype quarterback. I think he'll uh, he'll make quite a few plays and put a, quite a few points on the board. Andrew, who do you got? I think it's I think it's Navy. I think we're it's going to be really exciting to see what Malcolm Perry can do at quarterback he's a, a insane athlete as we saw in the army navy game in the army virginia or the navy virginia bowl game you know you do have questions about what he does and what he's able to do with his arm but i think this is a game where navy with him is going to be able to do enough on the ground that it's really not going to matter as, as we kind of looked at hawaii kind of faded in that colorado state game there it wasn't so much, again, as someone who watched the game, I'm going to give my comments in a second, no, but as, as someone who watched the game, it was really less that Hawaii's defense was so good, and it was more that Colorado's offense kept getting in its own way, and then eventually they figured out how to run their own system, and they got back into the game. So, yeah, I wasn't impressed by Hawaii's defense at all. What I was impressed by was their quarterback. Their quarterback looks really good. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Navy's going to run into those same issues, though. They know how to run their offense. Yeah, they also apparently, I didn't know this, they moved Zach Aby, who was the backup quarterback last year, to starting wide receiver. That's six, not? 6'2", six, six, two, two, big body wide receiver, can't argue with that. That's not that unusual, either. Um, they also have a Tagovailoa. Don't know if he's related. Um, he is actually an Amosa dash Tagovailoa, so it may not be related. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, I think I think it's one where I think Navy comes in, does what they want to do, and and are able to walk away with a win because I think it's, it's, I think Navy's kind of reeling from that Army loss last year, and they're again like we've talked about. I think this is kind of a statement to come out and be like, Nah, bro, we're we're back to the Navy everyone knows us to be. Is Tagovailoa an island native to Hawaii? Uh, Tua is, and I mean, I think they all are. But I think, I think when he went, to, when Tua went to Alabama, I think his family moved. Oh, I see, I see. Because okay. I know his younger brother is playing quarterback in Alabama, and I think that's what happened. Is I think the family moved. What is Coach Kenny an island native? So Niamatololo, he played in Hawaii. He played for Paul Johnson at Hawaii. Interesting. Oh, okay. Um, so did his offensive coordinator. So this is kind of like a home return game for him. Um, Interesting. Okay. Hold on. I, I think... I, I, don't, I don't need the details. I was just curious. Um, as far as my picks go, 
I'm really just going with my gut here. Yeah, Kenny is from Hawaii. Okay, that's He's a Hawaiian native. So this would be like a home away from home kind of game for him. That that makes it interesting. His first job was a GA at Hawaii from 1990 to 1994 as well. As far as my picks go, this is another one where I'm picking with my gut. Hawaii really impressed last week. What I really want to see is I want this quarterback to be successful in the future because Hawaii has had some great programs behind great quarterbacks. If I had to go with my instincts, I would say there's no way Navy loses this game, but since I'm going with my gut, I'm going to pick Hawaii and say that they'll somehow come out on top. But it's going to rely on a lot of great performances by this offense because the defense didn't show me much last week. All right. Um, Next up, we have Miami versus LSU. So Tommy says... Two teams with disappointing finishes to the season have something to prove, and both teams are getting love from the polls that they haven't exactly earned yet. Miami went from plus 15 in the turnover margin through its first nine games and ended the last four with minus two. If the turnover chain gets put to work, Miami should win this. And so he's picking Miami. Uh, I am also picking Miami because, as Artem was so keen to point out, uh, LSU has been in a downward spiral for the quite a few past seasons, and I haven't seen a lot that's shown to me that I should expect much out of them this year. Um, so we'll get to Artem in a second, but Andrew, I want to know what your thoughts are on the matchup. I'm really torn. I think it's I think it's a game where if Miami struggles, especially a quarterback, Malik Rozier may lose his job. He was a starter last year. He he was really kind of up and down. He's a guy that it seemed like as the pressure got on, got better. But when there was no pressure, played really poorly. Which is strange because you don't think of a guy like that. But at LSU, Joe Burrows, the grad transfer from Ohio State, who's going to be a start. It will be his first collegiate start. I don't believe he ever actually played at Ohio State. That's really the big question there. It's going to be the, the quarterback battle there. I think both teams are going to be good defensively. So I think it's, again, it's going to be a pretty low-scoring idea. I don't think it's going to be one where a team scores a lot and kind of runs away with it. You know, what's my over-under? Three to Miami. Three. Three. No, that's the spread. The over-under is 47. I think they may be under that 47 because I could easily see this being like a 17-14 to 14 type game because again I think they're both teams that are really good defensively but I think Miami has more answers on offense than LSU does and I think that's going to be enough for the Hurricanes to in a close low scoring dog fight pull out the win okay Artem do you also have Miami yes sir I'm with you on this one I think uh, it's big um big game to start of the season. I think they lost the bowl game coming off of that, and Joe Burrow just doesn't have the experience needed to beat a defense like Miami. I think turnover chain comes out at least three times in this one. All right, so we've all got Miami in that matchup. Uh, next up, we've got Virginia Tech at FSU. So this one is not a neutral site. This is actually at FSU. Uh, Tommy's got, this will be a great defensive battle on both sides. FSU has a bad line, but they also have Cam Akers, who's going to get hit a few gashes. Josh Jackson is 
an up-and-down guy leading the Virginia Tech attack, and his play will probably decide if they can get an extra score they need to win. FSU wins in a tight, low-scoring game. You know, Tommy's made quite a few good points. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with all of his points in this game, but uh, he's made some good points on the night. Uh, Artem, who do you have in this matchup? Virginia Tech, and um, it's mostly because I looked at Willie Taggart's record, and he's honestly not as proven as some people think he would be. Um, he didn't last long at Oregon. He didn't really situate himself there very well, and his head coaching record's 47-50, and 50, so he, he's not even 500. Um, very kind of under-the-radar hire for FSU, and he had to install a completely different offense when he came in, whereas Bud Foster's been there for a long time. He's one of the higher-paid defensive coordinators for Virginia Tech. I just don't think that FSU is going to have what it takes as far as the the chemistry on offense to be able to overcome what Bud Foster has in store for him. So I think, uh, I think FSU's going to struggle putting up points in this one. I do think high-scoring offense themselves. So... Uh, I think it's going to be like 24-13, that type of game. But I think Virginia Tech comes away with a win on the road. Okay. Andrew, we got a split decision. Who you got in this match? I think Florida State blows them out, and it's never close. Okay, cool. I don't – there's there's so much youth on defense at Virginia Tech, and I think a lot of the talent that Florida State has on offense is going to fit really well into what – Willie Taggart wants to do. I think Walt Bell, the OC, is a really talented young offensive coordinator. I think DeAndre Francois, even though he's coming off an injury, is going to be a guy that fits really well in what they want to do offensively. Cam Akers is a straight-up grown-ass man. I don't trust Josh Jackson in the Hokie offense. I think there's too many questions there. They don't really have answers at running back. They struggle at wide receiver. Savoy, I think, is the only returner that, that's really done anything. It's, it's kind of like at Duke where the skill guys are just guys. None of them really jump out to me as players that can make much of an impact against a Florida State team that I think probably the second most talented team in the ACC behind yeah. Clemson. I mean, and at certain yeah. positions, maybe more talented. I mean, Florida State's never struggled in recruiting that talent. And I think there's just too many questions. The game's at Duke Campbell on a Monday night in Florida – in Willie Taggart's first game, I mean, it's going to be lit. It's going to be hyped. I think Florida State's going to be ready to play, and, and I think Virginia Tech just doesn't match up well with them at all. Gotcha. All right. I've also got FSU. I mean, Virginia Tech's just got too many issues. They lost a lot of – their offense has never been great, and then they lost a lot of defensive personnel to either injuries or – I'm going to politely say other circumstances. <laughs> Issues. Yeah, um, this offseason. So, yeah, I think people forget because of how poorly FSU performed last year, but they still got – they're still one of the most talented teams in the nation by far. Now, if they can get over whatever their locker room issues are and show up on the field, then that's really the question. But I think for this game at least, they'll come out and they'll dominate. All right, last picks of the night. So we're doing our personal picks. Tommy picked Kansas, uh, not Kansas State, Kennesaw State University over Georgia State. 
And that was actually what Tommy's comment was, was hooty hoot. Uh, Let's over, go Owls. Over Georgia State University. Uh, the fighting planks over Georgia State. Uh, Artem, I know who your pick is. Do you want to go ahead and just tell us? Texas A&M over Northwestern State. Going to see myself in Cowfield tomorrow. Uh, you'll have to tell us how that goes. Uh, pretty straightforward there. I don't think we're expecting anything exciting. Uh, I picked Vandy over Middle Tennessee State. I think that'll be a low-key exciting matchup to watch, uh, but I do see Vandy coming out on top since they're at home. Andrew, who do you got? So I'm going to go way off the beaten path, and I'm going to pick the North Carolina A&T Aggies out of Greensboro. I think have a shot to go into Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in Greenville, North Carolina and knock off the East Carolina Pirates. And for all intents and purposes, drive the nail into the coffin that is the end of the Scotty Montgomery era Which in honestly, East Carolina. He's been around for too long as it is. They That's still a situation where I, I don't understand why they let go of Ruffin McNeil. But obviously... ADs, I guess they're better at this than I am, but... Uh, clearly not. Yeah, that's... I mean, especially at a place like East Carolina. I mean, we met East Carolina baseball fans. I mean, they're passionate. Oh, no, yeah. ECU fans love ECU. You know, it's they're barely... They're probably it's a, the second biggest fan base in the state. Yeah, I it's mean, they, shocking. You know, they, they fill the stadium. They love their Pirates, but it's just not been a good Scotty Montgomery. And I think A&T's a really good team. They knocked off Jacksonville State... Earlier in the you know week zero, which was a big win for them as an HBCU, I want to. I saw somewhere they won like. What's Darius Raynaud, their quarterback, is like twenty eight and and O, like he's undefeated against FCS opponents. Like the, like they've huh. got talent. Yeah, you know Tariq Cohen, the running back for the Bears. They put an offensive line in the draft this past year. I mean, there's talent at A and T. And I think, I think they've got a chance to go into East Carolina and really surprise that program. Well, time will tell. All right, so those are all our picks for week one. We'll have to tune in and see how it all turns out. Thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in, and thank you guys for being here. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at tomeeslerpodcast at gmail.com and check out our Twitter account at tmlpodcast. And, of course, Artem's got our Facebook page up. Do you want to say anything about that real quick, Artem? Yeah, we're posting the same stuff on Facebook. Come like it, comment your thoughts, and uh, we'll read them next podcast. All right. Until then, have a good rest of your night, everybody. Bye-bye.